The message you are listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach for the 2017 New Year's Conference. More information about New Year's Conference can be found at newyearsconference.com. Um, so I was talking to some of my Northwestern friends over here, and we were talking about walking by faith and taking risks. Now, who else from Northwestern in the room? All right, keep your hands up if you know what the Moorier Run is. Oh, my God. Is it? Oh. Is it? <laughs> You guys know it, so you know what it is? All right, now keep your hands up if you've, if you've actually done the Moria run. Am I saying that right? Yeah. All right, so one of you in the back, boldly tell us what the Moria run is. Tell us about how you took a risk. Stand up if you like, that's fine. Um, you run from one end of the campus to the other naked. Uh, at night, you take the chance of being caught. <laughs> Good. Hey, in a nutshell, that's like what I'm going to say today. So, seriously, like, you got to take some chances, right, in the Christian life. Uh, so, maybe other schools, if you haven't, you wouldn't have known what the Moyer Run is, but has anyone else ever streaked across your campus? This is your time to come clean. We're here in community. Nobody? Hey, my hand's up. I, I did it. Every graduation, the night before graduation, me and some of my fraternity brothers, we would go streak from one end of campus to the next. Or it just wasn't that, actually that long. I'll try to make it sound cooler when you retell the story. It's probably like 20 feet if, if I actually think about it, but uh, no. All right, anyhow, so you've got your outline. And um, I wanted to introduce just with some personal information about me. Uh, so you really, if you want to get to know somebody, you take a look at the music that they listen to. And so there was a pivotal point in my life where I was really stuck between two genres of music. So I, I grew up in the South in Tennessee, so everybody listens to country music down there. But uh, my middle school talent show came around, and I decided to take a, a step of faith, uh, to, uh, to take a risk. And uh, I decided to try out for the middle school talent show. And I was trying to choose between two different bands, so I've got a picture of each of them. I'm curious if you guys will even recognize can anybody name that band? Anybody? This is kind of dating me a little bit. Boys to Men, have you even heard that? Okay, thank you. <laughs> okay, so I'm not that old. You at least recognize their name. So I was trying to choose between a, part, a song by Boys to Men and, uh, and another guy, but some, some close friends of mine came, and they kind of pointed out a pretty simple logical fact is, is I'm just one white dude. <laughs> and I was going to attempt to do a, a, a song by four black dudes. So they're like, dude, you just can't pull this off. Uh, so I, I told you I was stuck between two genres. So the second artist is right here, uh, Joe Diffie. Anybody know Joe Diffie? Yep. Uh, yeah, really? <laughs> wow, okay. Uh, one guy in the room, so a little bit different. Uh, but, <clears throat> but anyhow, you can tell just two radically different genres of, of music, R&B and country music. <laughs> And uh, I went with the Joe Diffie part, but just to kind of fast forward to the end of that story, uh, I went to a middle school of about a thousand people, and no exaggeration, literally only like two people clapped at the end. So like, you got the guy doing the drum solo, and it gets like the standing ovation, and then I went, and two people stood up and clapped. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that kind of hurt. So I just remember walking around the hallways and like feeling the stairs as I was like trying to go back to class afterwards. It's like, why did I do that? I'm an idiot. <laughs> Uh, but I decided to, to step out and take a risk. But uh, when you take a risk and it kind of blows up in your face, what do you want to do? You know, you just want to go crawl under a rock somewhere and hide in a hole. And that was one of those moments for me. Um, and, and so you kind of uh, feel like you get knocked down a few notches after that. And I just want to acknowledge that, that some of you guys have put yourself out there at different times. 
And, and you've probably felt the same things that I felt that day in the, the seventh grade talent show. Um, I didn't mention the two people who stood up. I was in seventh grade. The two people that stood up were these two eighth grade chicks that I had a crush on. And they were like, give me a clap. So that, that kind of helped things out a little bit. But uh, when you're in middle school, those are, those are trying times. So you, you take what you can get. But, uh, but anyhow, I want you to envision yourself now in another story. It's August 3rd, 1492. And you're the captain of a, of a ship, and there's about three ships that are about to set sail from Spain. And everyone has been telling you that the world is actually square, uh, but you're convinced it's round. Uh, so, so who are you? Any, anybody? Who do you think you are? Columbus. Christopher Columbus, that's right. Okay, so <clears throat> if you're like me, uh, you hated history growing up as a kid. I've kind of come to love it in more recent years. Uh, but I thought about what it must have been like to stand on the, the edge of the dock and to be facing this expanse of ocean. You know, I, I was standing at the, the Michigan Lake recently. I was like, dude, you can't even see the other side. I didn't know that lakes like that existed, but they do. Uh, but you're standing at the edge of this ocean. You can't see the other side. And you're trying to decide, am I going to go for this or not? Everyone else is telling you you're an idiot and that your ships are going to fall off the side of the earth. And you're thinking, man, even if they're wrong and I'm right, how do I know that we've got enough food on the ship that we're even going to make it? How do I not know that we're not going to end up in the middle of the ocean somewhere and just starve to death? I'm about to lead all these men on this voyage. But somehow you muster up the courage and you go for it anyways. You decide, I'm going to take a risk. Well, that, that's a real risk. My deal in seventh grade, that was like nothing. Uh, but we, we've got to remember that so many people throughout history have taken extremely bold risks. And we, we can be inspired by them, but too easily we just kind of brush over their stories. But since, since thinking about that story, I've been asking myself, what is my sea? What is my ocean? And I want you guys to ask yourself that same question. What is, what is my mental ocean? What are the places in my life that I'm not willing to cross? What are the barriers in my life, the mental barriers where I look at these things and say, man, I can't even entertain the thought of going there. No one had ever done it before, Christopher Columbus, right? But he mustered up the courage to go for it. But, but what are those C's for you? I became a Christian my freshman year of college at Tennessee Tech. And I remember going home just a week later and thinking, I want to tell my family about my life change. But I finally sat down with my dad, and it took everything in me. I was just tongue-tied. I was so fearful just to, to find that first word to talk to my dad. Uh, so that was kind of a middle ocean for me. It was, it was tempting to just bail and say, no, forget it. I can't muster up the courage. Before I became a Christian, I was addicted to pornography. And that, that was kind of a mental sea for me. Because after I became a Christian, I remember talking to some of the older Christian men that were mentoring me at the time and just kind of weighing it out. Am I going to take a risk and kind of put myself out there in the open and ask these guys for help or am I just going to keep it to myself? So maybe that's a kind of mental ocean that you have. Or, or maybe it's uh, something more like um, you're wanting to share your faith with some of your friends on campus, uh, but you're just thinking, man, I'm going to get ostracized. I'm going to kind of get kicked out of the friend group. Uh, and for you to bring up spiritual things, uh, it's kind of like me trying to talk to my dad. But I want you to begin to think, what are the different areas in your life that are those mental seas where you're just saying to yourself, God, if you're calling me to do that, I can't even begin to imagine going there. 
I've got this middle ocean, this barrier that's blocking me from even taking that first step forward. Uh, so I want to encourage you uh, through, through one particular passage in Matthew. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew 25. But you need to recognize that, <clears throat> that if you're a disciple of Christ, a disciple of Jesus Christ, that you're a follower of Christ, uh, you've got to get used to living a lifestyle of taking risk. Jesus' life was marked by risk, and he had a lot to say about it. And so we're going to look at this particular parable. It's called the parable of the talents. Uh, so starting in verse 14 in Matthew chapter 25. Um, so I'm going to try to explain the parable, and then we're going to just dive into it. Uh, but this is the second of two parables that are called the kingdom parables. Uh, so just take my word for it. If you looked at verse 1 in chapter 25, you would see that. Uh, that there's two parables, and they're both talking about how God's kingdom is going to grow on earth. And so we get to the second parable in verse 14, and Jesus says this. He says, For it, or in other words, the kingdom, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To the one he gave five talents. Uh, so before we read the rest of that, uh, that passage, I want to kind of explain to you what this parable is illustrating. Uh, anytime Jesus is speaking in a parable, he's using symbolic language. So I've kind of tried to help you out here. The it, we've already said, is God's kingdom. Uh, the man in this parable, the business owner, represents God or Jesus. And he's saying that he is lending his business. He's giving his money to some other men. He's entrusting it to them while he goes out on a journey and he's saying, I'm going to give the business to you guys for a while while I'm gone. And so, <clears throat> so the servants would be us, us in the room, Jesus' followers. Jesus is telling this story, and he's trying to teach a lesson. And the property that he's giving him, again, is, in, is symbolic of the kingdom. Uh, but this word talents, it's not a word that we use today. Uh, specifically here in, this, in the context, it's talking about money. Actually, 20 years' wages of money. So a, a pretty hefty sum of money. Uh, however, for us, just to understand the, the broader ramification of the parable, that would just be anything that you own. Uh, so your time, your energy, your relationships. And we're going to talk about what is Jesus really saying about risk. But to kind of summarize where we're going, you can ask yourself, if God the Father owned a business, what kind of employees would he be looking for? And in, our, in our circles, in Christian circles, we would say, man, in our workplace, we need to be people who function with integrity. Or we need to have strong work ethic. Uh, we need to have uh, strong ethics. We need to have uh, um, honesty. But a lot of times we don't talk about, man, we need to be risky people. And jumping ahead, the, the moral of this story is what Jesus is saying is, if you want to engage in my business, the type of people that I'm looking for, to be a part of my business are people who are willing to walk by risk. So don't get lost in all the language and miss the main message. Uh, so let's finish reading this passage. Uh, back to 15. To the one guy, he gave five talents. To another, he gave two. To another servant, he gave one. To each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, 
You delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. So we're going we're gonna to stop there and we'll read the rest of the story in a minute. Uh, but let's just kind of take it a piece at a time. What do we learn about the, the faithful servants in this story? Simply put, we would say that they chose to invest their money. Uh, he, he calls them faithful. And what made them faithful was, is, is I gave you this five talents. I gave you these two talents. And you chose to take it and go invest it. What, uh, but what do, we, what do we know about risk or what do we know about investing money? Is, is there's no guarantees, right? These guys took those five talents and they could have lost it, but they chose to take a risk, saying, my master, he's gone out, he's left me this money, and I've got to make a decision. Either I'm going to play it safe or I'm going to take that money and hopefully make a profit. Uh, but let's, uh, let, just to make it painfully clear, let's define risk. Uh, so I've got, no, excuse me. Let's pick back up at uh, 24, and we're going to look at the other servant. Uh, so verse 24. You can just skip down there. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scatter no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours, but his master had answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sowed, and gathered where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own. So in a similar fashion, what do we learn then about the servant that he says is wicked and slothful? Is, is he kind of took the easy route. Rather than going and taking a risk where there's no guarantees, he said, I'm just going to do what's safe and comfortable. So you begin to understand really the heart of the parable here. Is you've got two different parties that are recognized, and Jesus saying is, you need to be in this camp. If you want to be a part of my business, then you need to become someone who's risky. Um, so let's define risk. It's a simple definition here. It's attempting something great without any guarantee of reward. Right? That, that's what a risk is. Is you're going to kind of put yourself out there on, on the line because you're expecting to reap great reward, but there really are no guarantees that you're going to get that reward. Right? Because it's a risk, you have a chance of, of having great cost or great loss. Um, so I've got just a simple um, illustration up here. If you've ever done any investing in the stock market, you sit down with a financial planner, he's going to ask you, what kind of profile do you want? Do you want to kind of play things conservative and be over here on the right with low risk? Or do you want to go to the other side and say, man, we're really going to take some risk here and be more of an aggressive investor? So just, I mean, it's amazing. You just see the exact same principle that we just read straight out of the scripture from Jesus' parable. Uh, so this, this is just to illustrate what I mean by risk. Uh, so on one end, you're saying the chance that you might gain a lot, but you also might lose a lot. And on the other side, you might lose a little or you might gain a little. You see what I'm saying? And where, where do you think most people want to camp out at? Is most people, they don't want to put their neck out on the line. They want to play it safe, right? And so they stay on this side because they're thinking, dude, I can't afford to lose much. It'd be nice to gain a whole lot, but I can't even begin to fathom what might happen to me if I put myself out there. You know, the, the conversation where I confess my sin to those older men, or the conversation that I have with my dad, it's too tempting to just hang back and play it safe. So what is the central lesson learned from this parable? It's something, simply this. Even in the face of great risk, God expects us to invest 
our personal resources into his kingdom. Even in the face of great risk, God expects you guys to put yourself out there on the line. So what, what is your greatest resources? Uh, it's not money. It's not necessarily your time. It's not your education. It's not your friendships. I would summarize it by saying this. is Your greatest resource is you. Your greatest resource is you. Is what God expects from you learning from this parable is not that on the back end you would double your money or you would double any other resource. What we're to, what, how we're supposed to grow from this is that we would double. What God is interested in is taking who you are now and doubling that. Making you into someone who maybe you're in the middle of the road, but he's saying, I'm wanting to change you. I'm wanting through your circumstances, through the, uh, the risk that God gives you, I'm wanting to grow you into becoming someone who's even greater. So let's move on to the, the next main point, and that's this. Is we need risk takers in a world that plays it safe. We need risk takers in a world that plays it safe. So I've got a quote up here from a book that I recently read called Failure of Nerve by this guy named Edwin Freeman. Uh, it's not a Christian book. He's a secu- he was a secular uh, psychologist. And he was also a rabbi. Uh, kind of lived amongst the religious world. Uh, but the re- uh, he, he's deceased. He died in the 90s. But he did tons of research on the American culture uh, in the 90s. And I would say the trajectory of the things that he was observing throughout his lifetime are only even greater today. So I, I want to put this quote on your outline so you've got the whole thing, maybe only the first line on the PowerPoint. But let's read this together. What our civilization needs most is leaders with a bold sense of adventure. As I noted earlier, our nation's obsession with safety ignores the fact that every American alive today benefits from centuries of risk-taking by previous generations. While not all Americans share equally in that heritage, to the extent anyone does, it is because every modern benefit from health to enjoyment to production has come about because Americans in previous generations put adventure before safety. We run the risk of becoming a nation of skimmers who constantly take from the top without adding significantly to its essence. Okay, so I'm going to make him the bad cop. I'll be the good cop today. Uh, This is a guy much older than me, much more experienced. But what he is saying, what he observed of my generation, uh, is, is he's saying it doesn't look too good for the future. Is what he is saying, and this is in the 90s, is he was saying the kids today, they don't get it. They don't understand what it was like for their grandfathers or maybe even their parents. Guys who were raised during the World Wars, who lived to see the Great Depression. And, and I, would, I would argue that what he was saying was true in the 90s is far more true today of your generation. Essentially what he's saying is, is you want to know the people who are willing to take risk and to play it hard? It's the ones who've had a hard life. But for people who've been spoon-fed and have kind of had an easy life laid out before them, they don't even understand what it is to live with risk because they've had things just handed to them. And I would argue that that is true for most of you in the room today, that you are guilty of what Edmund Friedman is talking about. Now, I recognize that some of you have had a hard life, but I would argue that you're the exception to the rule. And and all of you have a choice to make. 
to whether or not this is going to be true of you or if you're going to try to separate yourself from the culture at large. This is, this is true of our culture. Whether it's true of you or not, you're surrounded by people that are like this, that want to play it safe. And what Evan Friedman was saying is, is our nation is in great, uh, our future does not look bright. We need a generation of people who are willing to step up in a world that plays it safe and take great risk. Uh, the, the, the nice thing about this is Jesus made a very similar statement in Matthew 11. Uh, so write that down. Matthew eleven 12, I've got it on the PowerPoint here. I'll read it to you now. It says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. So this is in the NIV. Uh, I memorized this in college. It's saying, uh, or in the ESV it says this, that uh, the violent take it by force. That throughout all of humanity, throughout all of history, go back to Genesis and read the entire Bible, and you're going to see the same thing over and over and over. The way that God's kingdom has grown throughout all the generations has been the same. Through men and women who were willing to live with great risk. Jesus, Jesus made this observation long before Edwin Freeman did. Is he saying there's one way that the kingdom of God advances? And it's through this. It's through men and women who are willing to be violent, who are willing to forcefully advance God's kingdom. So my question today for you is this, is who are the forceful men and women that are going to advance the kingdom on your campus? If the kingdom of God is going to grow on your campus, it has to happen the same way Jesus said it's happened throughout all of history. Who are going to be the men and women who put their neck out on the line for Jesus' kingdom? Is it going to be you? I'm talking to everyone in the room. Freshmen, don't look at the juniors and seniors on your campus. Juniors and seniors, don't look at the staff on your campus and think you're going to be the one that has to put your neck on the line. Campus average staff, don't look at your students and think I'm banking on them rising up and putting their necks on the line. I'm talking to everyone in the room. We all have to own this principle. We all have to be willing to put our necks on the line. Everyone is plagued with the temptation to play it safe, to take it easy, to live within the lines, to only do what you've seen done in the past. Christopher Columbus, he was willing to live outside the lines. But what about you? I'm convinced you might be the one that has to step up from your friend group and say, we're not going to settle for status quo. But I'm convinced that every one of you looks around at your group of friends and you're waiting. You're waiting for someone else to step out on faith. But it always has to start with one person that's willing to live radically for Christ. So I have another question to pose you is, is are you a kingdom risk taker? Would you classify yourself as a kingdom risk taker? When was, when was the last time you took a big risk for God's kingdom? Would you say that, man, I actually do this often? Or are you the person that's kind of in the middle of that scale, maybe 50% of the time? You know, I'm just not really on one end or the other. Or are you the person that seldomly takes risks for the kingdom? Or would you even go as far as to say, man, be honest, I don't know that I ever take risks to build God's kingdom. I always play it safe. What Campus Outreach is asking you to do on your campus, and, and really throw Campus Outreach's name out the window, what Jesus Christ is asking you to do in this world necessitates 
that you would walk by faith and take risks. You're not going to be able to build disciples until you get this straight, that you've got to walk by faith. You've got to be willing to take risks. So I'm going to give you just a sample year. It's moving day, and you're hoping to see a bunch of disciples raised this school year. So what are you going to do? Are you going to play it safe and you're going to go out there and meet just one or two new people? Or are you going to be more risky and say, man, I don't know any of these freshmen. I don't know any of these new students. But I'm going to put my neck on the line and I'm going to attempt to go to people that I don't know, that I'm not comfortable with, that I might not have all that much in common, and I'm going to introduce myself to 50 new people today. And that's just the beginning. A week goes by and you have the first cookout or you're rounding up some people to go bowling or whatever you guys do. And you've got to make another decision. I can kind of show up to the cookout and I really only invited the two people that I feel comfortable with or am I going to go and knock on every door and try to bring 20 people with me? A couple more weeks go by and the deadline for the fall retreat's rolling around. And you're sitting there thinking, man, classes are starting to get busy. But I'm going to go out there and I'm going to invite some people. I know that this could change their eternity. I'm going to try and get them to come to the retreat with me. And so you take one night and you invite a bunch of people and it doesn't go all that well. Are you actually going to go back again and again and again and invest maybe four or five or six nights at the expense of possibly your grades or your classes? You see what I'm saying? If you're going to go and build disciples, it's just one day after another. You're going to have to get in the habit of taking risks. What about whenever it comes time to kickstart kick the evangelistic Bible study? Are you going to kind of rely on the Bible study, you know, the content that's in the book, to do the hard work? Or are you willing to sit down with people and look them in the eye and say the hard thing? Over and over and over throughout the school year, you have so many chances to face your fears. But you've got to recognize that each one of those decisions, you're, you're molding yourself in either one direction or the other to be on this end of the spectrum or the other end of the spectrum. All right, so I'm imagining that at this point, some of you guys might be kind of feeling defeated. Uh, Some of you would just say, you know what, Kenny, like, I'm just not naturally a risky person. Uh, I'm more on the soft side. I'm kind of a quiet person. Uh, My gifts, I have other gifts. I have the gift of compassion, but not being necessarily the person that walks by faith. And I I just want to recognize that, that that is real. God gives different gifts to different people in his family. Um, and, then, and then if you are the person who just kind of like naturally likes to take risks, uh, I want you to recognize that just because you naturally like taking risks, that's not necessarily the same thing as taking risks for the kingdom. Okay, so you, you need to kind of factor that in as well. Um, I'm, I would say I'm just kind of naturally the person that loves taking risks. You know, we've, we've been joking around a little bit about the Myers-Briggs. Uh, I took a test one time that just told me I'm a risk taker. And I would say that's true. Like, I love wheeling and dealing on Craigslist. And it's not even about that thing that I'm buying. Is I just love the, the thrill of going and trying to talk a dude into giving it to me half off or whatever. Um, I've got a picture. One time, I, me and a fraternity brother of mine, we had the opportunity to go test drive some BMWs. And, I, dude, this was not planned. I just got in this convertible, and I was just planning to do a little joyride around town. But I drove that car so fast it was just stupid like I should be dead right now or in jail for like the rest of my life I drove that thing so fast I remember bringing it back to the dealership and you could smell the brakes they were so hot 
Uh, but, you know, why do I do that stuff? You know, it's stupid. But I, I, just, I don't even know. I'll be in the middle of something. I'm like, why am I doing this? And it's just because I love the adrenaline rush. And, and if you're that kind of person, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're taking risks for the kingdom. Okay, so what's the point of all of that? Is, is, is I just want to recognize if you're the person who yours, your gift is compassion or your gift is kind of walking by faith and taking risk, what Jesus is calling us to is both those things. No, no one's exempt. My gift is not compassion. That doesn't mean I'm exempt from being compassionate with people. And God's had to grow me through that. If your gift is not necessarily walking by faith, well then, I wanted to instill some courage in, in you today. So that, that moves me to my next point, and that is this. Our faith in God grows one risk at a time. Everybody's faith in God grows the same way. So whether it's your natural bent or not, we can all find comfort in knowing that God can use you. No matter how fearful you are, no matter how small your faith might feel, God always uses those who are weak. And he always used the same process to grow and increase their faith. It's one risk at a time. Uh, so if you're still there in Matthew 25, look at verse 15. And notice what Jesus says. Uh, he says, to each according to his ability. Uh, so the parable went like this. To one guy he gave him five talents, so the most money. To another guy he gave him two talents, a little less. And to another one he gave him one. So what, what that tells me, what Jesus is trying to instruct us in, is God patiently deals with us individually. He knows you, and He knows your circumstances, and He knows your wiring, He knows your strengths and weaknesses, and God loves you enough to deal with you individually. We see that in this parable. Man, that's so good. That, that uh, The comparison trap, that's just going to drown you. If, if you look at the next person and you think, man, I'm not walking by faith or I'm not taking risks or I'm not moving forward and growing in faith unless I'm doing what the other guy's doing, you've got you to quit doing that. You just need to take your next step and not the next person's next step. You don't necessarily have to do what they're doing. Be encouraged. Be motivated by what you see in other people's lives. But you don't necessarily have to do exactly what the other guy's doing. Th think about it like this. Imagine all the, the famous missionaries throughout all of the church, uh, throughout the church's history. You know, do you do you think those guys started out as studs from day one? Man, a absolutely not. Uh, on the book table, we've got two missionary biographies that I encourage you guys to go and invest a little bit of money and read. Uh, I've read both of these in the last year or two, so I've got a picture of both of them. But one uh, is C.T. Studs biography. He was a missionary, uh, first in China, but the, the way he got introduced to the mission field was through another guy named Hudson Taylor. Uh, Hudson Taylor was a famous missionary who started the China Inland Mission. Uh, so he was the first missionary to take the gospel to the inner parts of China. And I didn't necessarily want to talk to you about uh, Hudson Taylor, but God used Hudson's life to impact many. And one of those people was C.T. Studd. Uh, so C.T. Studd joined Hudson Taylor on the mission field in China, but it wasn't without great risk. Uh, if, if you don't know the story, C.T. Studd basically was a stud. <laughs> he, he got that name naturally. Uh, he, he went to Cambridge, 
so he, he was just a brilliant guy. Uh, Cambridge in England. Uh, but he also was a student athlete. We got any student athletes in the room? There we go. Raise them high. Be proud. Uh, C.T. Studd, he wasn't just your average student athlete. He was like the guy who actually made it pro. Uh, now, I don't know the first thing about cricket, <laughs> but apparently cricket's like the thing in England. And he, he was... <laughs> Anybody else know anything about cricket? Uh, all right, Clark does. Uh, but anyhow, C.T. Studd, he was a famous cricket player that made it pro. Uh, he was a guy that set world records in the sport of cricket. Uh, but he chose to leave his profession. He was a professional athlete to go into the mission field. And no one understood it. Everybody thought he was crazy. Why would you give up? You have such a bright future ahead of you. And he threw it all away. He said, I have no guarantees of what is going to, what's going to go down in China, but I'm taking a gamble here, and I'm going to give my career away. But not only that, he was a wealthy dude. Uh, you, you don't just go to Cambridge and be an average Joe. Uh, you got to be smart, and you got to have money. <laughs> and, and CT's family had tons of it. Uh, unfortunately, his father died at a young age. Uh, so CT, and, and he, he got his inheritance as, as a young man. I think he was 26 years old. And before he even received the money, he had already given it all away. <laughs> he had already chose four or five different mission agencies to give his inheritance to. And he literally left himself without a dime. He had no idea what his future held. He, had, he took a gamble. He says, I'm not going to play it safe. I'm going to give it all away. He had enough money where he wouldn't have to work another day in his life. His future was set for him. Do you see what I'm saying? As we live in a generation that is spoon-fed, we get so afraid at the smallest risk. But it's men and women who have gone before us like C.T. Studd who have given us models. But the thing that I want to encourage you with today is every person in this room is starting at the exact same place as the C.T. Studs of the world. You all have that same potential. C.T. Studd did not start in that place. He started right where you're sitting today, one risk at a time. When, when you're facing the small risk, don't think about how small they are. Think about the trajectory that you're building, the habit that you're building in your life. Every risk that God is putting before you matters because it can build and build and build so that you'll be prepared for your future. Uh, back, I'll, I'll come back to Amy Carmichael at the end. Uh, but for the ladies in the room, uh, you can forget about C.D. Studd. Just go buy a Amy Carmichael's biography. Uh, she was twice the stud of C.T. Studd. So. All right, but back to Matthew chapter 25, uh, verse 21. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little, I will set you over much. So to paraphrase, what God is basically saying here is if you say yes to the opportunity that's set before you right now, if you're willing to trust me with the risk that I'm giving you right now, then you will be more prepared for the risk that comes later down the road. Whatever opportunity I'm giving you right now, I'm doing something in you to prepare you for an even bigger opportunity later down the road. Oh, well, what about the guy who he only gave two talents to? If you read just below that, uh, he, he, the owner of the company says the exact same thing. He says, good done, faithful servant. Did I just say good done? You know what I meant. 
words. Uh, <laughs> not, my, not my strength here. Okay. Uh, well done. Good done. I'm from the South. Give, give me a break here. Well done. That was the word I was looking for. Well done, like a steak. Okay, what was I saying? Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I was looking for. But the point is, it doesn't matter how big your risk is. What matters is faithfulness. He says the exact same thing to the guy who, who he gave five that he gave two to. It doesn't matter how much he actually gave. It just mattered that both guys were faithful. They were full of faith. That's what it means to be faithful. Uh, that they took the challenge that God set before them. But some of you, you still might be feeling like, but Kenny, you don't understand. My, my faith, it, it still feels pretty small. There's no way that I'll ever become a CT stud. There's no way that I'm going to be that guy that invites the 20 people to come to the cookout. Or I, I've struggled so many times to share my faith with my family or whatever it is. Man, my faith is still so small. Well, I, I want to encourage you today. Uh, your faith is not that small. You, you have already taken your greatest step of faith. And it started with salvation. If, if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ to save your soul for all of eternity, you've already made that first step. You've already made that first risk. You've already put yourself out on the line saying, I'm not going to trust in what the world says to trust in. I'm going to trust in Jesus Christ, the Savior of my soul, for all of eternity. And all of us, that's what I'm saying. Your potential is through the roof because we all start out at the same place, putting our trust in Jesus. But, but what about the last servant? The one who was not willing to invest the one talent. What, what did he want? He wanted safety. He wanted security. He didn't want to experience any cost or any loss. And, and the question is, is, did he get it? Did he get what he was looking for? And that brings me to my next point, and that is this. Playing it safe now does not lead to safety later. Playing it safe now does not lead to safety later. Now, think, think about the irony of that statement. What, what do we naturally think? Playing it safe now is setting me up for my future. I'm only going to have more safety in the future, right? Is, is I can't afford to put myself in a risky situation because who knows what might come later down the road. But that's a lie. What the, what the Bible is telling you is if you choose to play it safe now, it's not going to get you what you're looking for. You're actually going to experience more danger later. And we know that's true. Again, because if we go back to the, the, the issue of salvation. Think about the person who, who chooses to play it safe with their salvation. Because, man, I'm, I'm just going to kind of go with the world. I'm not going to put myself out there and place my trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, in verse 29, you can read this with me. It says, For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. What, <laughs> what in the world is he talking about? You know, sometimes you're reading uh, Jesus' language, and you're like, man, I, I don't get it. Like, I kind of get the idea, but what does this person have that he's going to get more of? And what does he think he has that's going to be taken from him? So, so what's the answer? The, the answer is faith. What Jesus is saying is to the one who has a little faith, more faith will be given to him. If you're willing to place your trust in Jesus, 
you're going to be given abundance of faith that will, that will carry you through to the end, just like Muchi was talking about. But for the one who is, is not willing to put themselves out and put their trust in Jesus, he's saying uh, destruction will, will come your way. Um, so paraphrase that. God is essentially saying, if, if you don't trust me now, if you don't face your fears now, then later down the road, your fears are going to eat your lunch. You're better off to get in the habit of trusting your fears with God sooner than later. If you start giving way to your fears now, then another five or ten years down the road, your fear is only going to grow. But what God wants for you is peace. He wants harmony. He wants joy. He wants happiness. And all, all of that comes through the channel of boldness. Is he saying, if you trust me now, then later down the road when you're facing things that would have otherwise just, just flipped you out, you're going to be ready for those things. And you're going to be able to run right through them. But I've seen too many people that weren't willing to face the fear of their parents or their best friend. You give them another six months or another year, and that fear only grows. They just can't get past it. And it rules their life. And God does not want that for you. He wants you to be able to follow Him and experience joy after joy after joy. Uh, so in conclusion, I want to give you the key to what it takes to walk by faith. The key to, to faith is looking backwards. The key to faith is looking backwards on God's past goodness. On God's past goodness to help us trust in His future goodness. The key to faith is looking backwards on God's past goodness to trust in His future goodness. Okay, so I'm going to jump ahead for a second and give you two applications there. Um, the first is, is you need to take time to write down all the things that you are thankful for that God has already done for you. It's too easy to get fixated on all the negativity in your life. When, when you're kind of standing there at the edge of the dock and you're looking into the ocean and you're trying to decide, man, am I going to be able to muster up the courage to cross this sea? And you sit, sit there and you start recounting all the negative things, all the challenges that have come your way, you're never going to be able to muster up the courage. But if you're getting in the habit of taking time to think about all the times that God has rescued you in the past, that is, that is the thing that's going to increase your courage to trust in Him in the future. And the second application is this, is, is you've got to be in the Word. Specifically, you've got to be in the Old Testament. I remember as soon as I started reading through the Old Testament, time after time after time, you see God rescue His people. And you see Him bring them through and carry them through, and they persevere to the end. And that should increase your faith and say, God, if you did it then, then I know you can do it for me now. But you're never going to be able to do that if you're not in the Word, if you're not reading these stories. They're not, they're not just stories. They're not fables, right? The Bible is a book of history, real history, real stories of where God has rescued people over and over again. And the only way you'll be able to remember that and bring it to your mind is if you're in the Bible and you're reading these stories so that you can look backwards throughout all of history to see how God has brought His people through. Okay, so in closing, uh, let's go back to C.T. Studd. Um, it's important that we would recognize what I'm not saying is that there's a one-to-one -one ratio here 
that every time you put yourself out there in the line, God's always going to make your path easy. C.T. Studd, he went to China uh, with Hudson Taylor, but he got shipped back because his, his health got so terrible. He got malaria. Uh, so he's back in England, uh, but he kept feeling the call back to the mission field. He ends up in India for a short time. But his, his, his uh, health gets to him again. He ends up back in England. But he still feels a call to the mission field. And he says, man, I want to go where no one's ever gone before. And he goes to inner Africa, to the Congo. Uh, so if you grab his book, you'll see it's not China on, on the, uh, the front cover. It's Africa. But C.T. Studd, some of you are thinking, gosh, like, I just don't know that I'll ever get there. He, he didn't even begin his journey to Africa until he was 45. So if you think, gosh, I've already missed my glory days or whatever, you haven't. He ends up in Africa in 45 at the age of 45, but he doesn't make it too long, and he gets shipped back to England again because of his malaria. But every time he re-enters the mission field, it's because God has seen, he has seen God carry him through. But this time, his health has progressively got worse and worse and worse. And the doctors look him in the eye, and they tell him, CT, if you go back to Africa, you're going to be dead in two weeks. So what does he do? He gets on the ship, and he goes back again. And guess what happens? He makes it for 20 years. Because he was willing to put himself out on the line, because he had built a habit throughout his lifetime of trusting the Lord, trusting the Lord, trust, trusting the Lord, he was able to stay in Africa for 20 more years, even though the doctors told him it would never happen. But he didn't have a guarantee. He didn't know that that was going to happen, right? And that's what it means to walk by faith, is you put yourself out into the unknown, but it's, it's through building a habit of looking backwards and seeing God carry you through. Uh, so let me close in prayer, and then we'll be done. God, thank you. How you are the, the greatest example of walking by faith. You sent your son to die on a cross, and you made the greatest risk for us. No guarantees that, that your disciples will follow you, uh, but you did it anyways. You laid down your life, Jesus. So we pray that you would help us to be just like you, that we too would die and lay down our lives over and over and over again, that others might live and follow your example. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at newyearsconference.com.